everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, December 30th, 2018. It's a Christmas miracle! Nikki is going to survive the mere presence of Victor was able to pull her back from the brink of death. <laughs> Save her just in the nicky of time. <laughs> oh, it was looking pretty grim there too for a minute, wasn't it? Were you fooled? Were you really thinking that Nikki was going to die? I mean, inside the hospital we had the bowing of heads for prayer for Nikki. Outside the hospital, we had a moment of silence with candles and Christmas carols. <laughs> oh, I wasn't fooled for a minute. <laughs> I knew she was gonna have a Christmas comeback, but I really did like and appreciate the scenes that we had inside of Nikki's mind. Everything is going on around her with the doctors and the family. And inside Nikki's mind, she's just having this peaceful moment of playing the piano. It was a really beautiful scene. It was shot on a complete black background with Nikki dressed in all white, slightly illuminated, just playing the piano, playing a beautiful song. And she begins little by little to hear things that are being said in reality around her. She even heard Reed confessing to what he had done, that he was the one who had hit her. She heard all of her loved ones saying their goodbyes. I mean, Nate was telling the family to prepare for the worst, that Nikki might not make it. But then, <laughs> but then, <laughs> This beautiful light appears in the distance and Nikki's looking up toward it and she's feeling oh so strangely compelled to move toward the bright light. And at the very last moment as she's getting ready to enter it, Victor appears behind her wearing his tuxedo, looking very dapper, and also just looking at her with a quiet, confident love. <laughs> and she turns around and he tells her gently not to go into the light. No, do not go into the light. Just come back to me. And he knew she was going to do it. He just confidently said, come on back to me. And she gives one more look at the light, makes her decision, turns around, and runs back into Victor's arms. They embrace, they dance, and they sit down at that piano and they play 
the full version of the YNR theme song, I was done. I mean, say what you will about the false peril that was going on. I don't care. I sat there looking at my screen crying. I had a full thick layer of tears and snot slime all the way <laughs> spread upon my cheeks. It was not pretty, but I was here for their reunion. I was present in it. I loved every moment of it. A Nikki and Victor reunion always gets me. And on top of it all, the use of the YNR theme song, Nikki playing. I don't think we've ever heard her actually playing Nadia's theme. She's playing it on the piano, and it's so meaningful in that moment as they're looking at each other. I mean, on Nikki and Victor reunion, plus YNR theme song in a scene, it, it, all, that, <laughs> both of those things always get me to cry independently, and this was like a double shot of cry. I mean, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> not cry, not go through a box of Kleenex, and not go eat all the leftover cheesecake after that? Flashing back into reality, Victor has not only appeared to Nikki in her dream, he is right there beside her hospital bed in reality too. Victor risked being caught by the police or the hospital staff or any number of people who could have been bumbling in and out of her room just so that he could sit there by his bedside and see the love of his life fighting for her life. And he was just gently stroking her hand or holding her face and even laying in the bed right beside her. Ah! <laughs> I love these two. I just can't help it. It was wonderful also to see those Christmas Day flashbacks to their love story. Victor was remembering the history of their relationship and talking to Nikki about it and saying, what a long road they've had and the fact that through that road they've both learned a lot from each other it wasn't just victor teaching nikki lessons on how to be a high society dame she was teaching him lessons about how to be more human. Uh, some of that, so much of that, in fact, has been lost over the years. It's that dynamic, though, that was so original about Nikki and Victor's love story, and I just loved reliving it. I think that one of the first scenes we saw where he was giving her the ring in the oyster, I believe that was their engagement scene, and I believe that the follow-up scene we saw was their first Christmas together, where Nikki gave him, I don't know what it was, was it a statue? It looked like a horse statue. Statue. The my screen was very dark in that flashback. I had trouble identifying some of the elements 
physically in the scene, so I, I don't know. It looked like a statue of some sort that Nikki gave him, but I was very perfectly able to see the big, beautiful, white fur coat that Victor gave to Nikki. I'm sorry. I am a sucker for the extravagant gift. Um, uh, Arturo, you can just take that parka and toss it into the dumpster. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but that's how you buy a woman a coat for Christmas. <laughs> Full length white fur. I'm a classic. What can I say? I'm a relic. I'm going out of style, but I loved it. Love the moment where she tried the coat on. Love the moment where they came together. Nikki and Victor are magic as much all of those years ago as they are today. I mean, him lying in her hospital bed. That's the love of his life. It was incredible. And sure enough, Victor being right there with Nikki, remembering all of these things, encouraging her to come home to him. It pulls Nikki back from the abyss. I mean, she was ready to go. And instead, she, she opens her eyes. Victor slips out of the hospital. Nikki opens her eyes. It's a miracle, an absolute Christmas miracle. And Nate, who is her very attentive doctor on call, tells all of the family that it's okay if she has some visitors. So one by one, they call, they all come into her hospital room and they tell her how worried they were about her. And she's just seeming a little stunned by what has happened, but she is surrounded by the love of her family. And I'm sure that has its own healing power hours. And just when it seemed like all was well, <laughs> all was restored in the universe, Nate feels like he's done a good job, decides to go home. Uh, he's done for the day. He's worked a 14-hour shift. He just wants to go home, kick back. He goes out to the hospital parking garage to his Jeep. I'm, I'm guessing it kind of looked like an SUV. It was neat to see what kind of vehicles our Genoa City residents drive. And most everybody buys or has cars, but I thought it was interesting that Nate seemed like maybe a Jeep guy. And then he was there in an SUV of some sort, probably just ready to get the heck out of there, put the pedal to the metal, go home for some leftover mac and cheese. But no, who should pop up in the backseat of the car? It's Vic. Victor on the lamb. I mean, Victor, <laughs> the way the, I loved the frame of Nate looking all scared and shocked in the in the driver's seat and Victor trying to look like a secret spy or a secret agent or something looking around in the back seat trying to figure out if anybody's on to him. It was a little funny and visually interesting too. I liked that scene. Uh, but Victor is now trying to convince Nate that what he needs to do is move Nikki out of the hospital where she's getting perfectly appropriate care for the coma she was in after being brutally run over on the side of the road. Victor's telling Nate he needs to help move this critical condition patient out of the hospital and into some other unknown place of his choosing because 
it's for Nikki's own safety. You know, because there is an assassin out there somewhere who has tried to kill her. I mean, we as the audience know it was Reed, so that's a little bit unbelievable. But the, uh, at the end of the day, the true unbelievability of this part of the story doesn't have anything to do with Reed, doesn't have anything to do with the Nikki's convenient coma. The true unbelievability of the story is the fact that Dr. Stodgy Nate Hastings agreed to go along with it. That makes no sense to me, that he would agree to circumvent the law and move a patient where she's getting the care she needs. I, 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 that doesn't sound like Nate at all to me. Didn't Nate tell Victor the very first time that he met Victor that he wasn't gonna be his tool? He refused to be Victor's tool. And now here he is, all these months later, Dr. Tool. All right, even if Nate believed that Nikki's life was in danger greater than the immediate medical danger, why wouldn't he just call the police? Call Ray. Call someone, get some extra security into the hospital, tell them we need some we need some more cops around here. I'm worried about my patient now that she is alive. Not risk his medical license to do a solid for Victor, who he really doesn't have all that much allegiance to. Why go along with one of Victor's risky plans? It just doesn't seem like the Nate that I've been presented. It also doesn't seem like the Nate that I've been presented to actually physically risk his career, his license, his everything to load Nikki onto a gurney, sneak her out of the hospital, put her in an ambulance, and speed off into the night to meet Victor at some secret destination that is apparently over an hour away. <laughs> Nikki's still in critical condition inside of the ambulance and wherever it is that Victor has a driver, a, a, an ambulance driver, he has hired some guy to, to drive the ambulance an hour away to meet him while Nikki could be dying inside. And on top of all of that, <laughs> Victor uh, couldn't have gotten a fully loaded ambulance like there was no medicine inside. Nikki's condition started to take a turn for the worse, and there was nothing. Nate's going through the cabinets, and he can't find the drugs he needs. Wouldn't you think that some basic medical supplies should have been stocked inside of this ambulance? Which, where'd they get that? Where'd Victor get the ambulance? <laughs> Did they just steal it? Did some poor ambulance driver decide to take a Christmas day break to go get some Subway sandwich, and then this goon hopped into the front of the ambulance and sped off and drove it away? What the heck? <laughs> Maybe Victor did burn down the ranch fire if this is as bad as his plans are. <laughs> so now, I mean, Victor's nowhere. I don't even know if they're able to get a hold of him. The goon seems to be the only one. The goon in the driver's seat seems to be the only one who knows what's going on. Nate and Nikki are stuck in the back of this ambulance with no medical supplies. Nate has to convince the goon to turn around and go back 
now to the hospital to go back and risk coming in and out of the hospital where they at this point have already figured out she's gone to get more medical supplies to complete this harebrained plan. <laughs> Surely Nate had to know that they would have figured out Nikki was gone by now. I mean, his, his he just is, he's, bless Nate's heart. He's just looking out for his patient. And if that's the case, he shouldn't have gone along with this in the first place. Ah. <laughs> uh. But Nikki's family has completely figured out that she's gone. She's missing. She has up and vanished from her hospital bed shortly after she had this miracle recovery that defies all logic. And Nick is really pissed. Victoria's reaction through all of this has been really varied. Sometimes Victoria is going through torture and anger, but then other times she's going out for coffee with Billy and uh, hanging out with Jack and Carrie, or she's at home with the kids decorating the Christmas tree. I mean, it's, it's weird. Nick has seemed singularly focused on everything Nikki, whereas Victoria has had some fun. <laughs> she went to the co coffee house party later in the week, but it's sort of weird. But Nick is really, really focused on not only helping Nikki, but finding out who could have stolen her from the hospital. So he, at first, lashes out at Ray about all of this. Everything is always Ray's fault. Then... Nick goes down to the police station thinking that he's going to ride Ray's case and keep him focused on finding whoever would have kidnapped Nikki, which in and of itself was a big leap. I don't know why it didn't occur to any of them that Victor could have had something to do with this in the first place. But Ray has this really great, smart way of incorporating Nick into the investigation instead of making Nick a hindrance to it. So while Nick is at the police station breathing down Ray's neck, Ray just gives him a little bit of work to do and says, hey, we both want the same thing. We're on the same page here. Here's some papers. Go through these hospital security logs. I'm going to let you help me with the newest Newman investigation on top of JT's murder investigation and on top of the ranch fire. Now we got to investigate a kidnapping of a Newman. I mean, no wonder. No wonder. It sure seems like Ray has it out for these people, but look at them. <laughs> look at all the crap they end up getting themselves into. Uh, who could blame Ray, really? And I think that's why I really, really uh, just liked very much the bonding moment that Ray and Nick ended up having as a result of all of this. Nick did get lulled into a little bit of a false sense of security, didn't he? Ray gives him the logs. They're just sort of going through the paperwork, having some conversation. Ray's treating Nick like a friend. I mean, these two guys were friends when Ray first came to Genoa City. If you think about it, they were instant friends. Nick was the first person I think that Ray met when he came to town. And it was a nice, 
moment to see them just being guys talking about their fathers even and Nick tr clammed up after the subject of fathers really did come up but I think there was also a realization that they have more in common um, I think Ray was trying to extend a little bit of an olive branch and prove to Nick that he's not a bad guy and I think also Ray doesn't want to leave Nick with the stigma that he's just someone who's out to get everyone in the Newman family and to sleep with Nick's ex-wife. But while Ray was having this very human moment with Nick, he's also a very smart investigator. Ray is still hoping to hit the trifecta here and solve all of these crimes that Nick may know something about. I think Ray is hoping that Nick will lead him right to Nikki or right to Victor or to both and solve all of these Newman crimes at once. So Nick is present when Ray receives some surveillance footage from the hospital. Technically, Nick's not supposed to be viewing this footage, but Ray's smartly bringing him in on this, letting him feel like he's part of the investigation. And the surveillance footage shows a guy who looks totally like Nate <laughs> loading Nikki onto a gurney and wheeling her on out of the hospital, but nobody puts it together that it's Nate until Nick goes back to the hospital, happens to cross paths with Nate at the same time that he's coming back to the hospital to sneak in and out with this medicine that Nikki needs. And when Nick questions Nate, Nate has to tell him all about Victor's plan and how it's for Nikki's safety. And Nick doesn't like it. Nick wants to call the police, but he still chooses the side of his family, doesn't call the police, follows Nate onto the ambulance, sees Nikki's condition, wants to get her help, tries to pull her off of the ambulance and get her back to the hospital but Victor's goon who's been driving the ambulance locks the doors neither of them can get out Mr. Goon Mr. Ambulance what was his name darn I should have wrote it down <laughs> I'm gonna call him Gus because he kind of looks like a Gus <laughs> So old Gus has the ambulance doors locked. Nobody can go anywhere. He tells both Nick and Nate that he's just following his orders. The job is to get Nikki to this meeting point with Victor, and he's going to follow through with that. That's all he's planning to do. So here now we have it. By hook or by crook, Nick is being forced along for the ride. And who's already on to all of this? Ray, what a smart, smart move by Nick. He knew that Nick was one way or another, whether it be intentional or unintentional, going to lead him right into the Newman honeypot. So we all know that Reed is not 
going to go to jail for mowing down his drunk grandmother <laughs> in an ice storm. We know that that's not going to happen. So what's going to end up happening to Reed? How much longer is Reed going to be able to keep this secret? It's clear that he really wants to tell someone what he's done. The fact that Nikki is now recovered may even increase that. Um, Charlie had a moment of stopping Reed from actually going to Ray and confessing that he was the one behind all of this. I mean, if everyone knew that Reed was the one behind it, uh, then also this whole false sense of Nikki's assassin would go away. It would be null and void. So I don't know. I imagine that Reed is going to want to come clean soon. What's going to happen the next time he gets the urge to unburden himself and Charlie is not there to stop him? I think Reed has the piece of information that's going to help, that's going to help. I am imagining that it's not going to stay a secret for too much longer. There was the moment uh, where Reed confesses to Nikki while she's in the coma that he's the one that hit her. And Nikki, in her coma, heard him perfectly clear during the piano sequence. So I can only imagine that she's going to be found when the cops find Victor. And that Nikki's going to be dragged back to Genoa City and she is not going to let her grandson get convicted of her hit and run any more than she's going to let her husband Victor get convicted of, a, of her homicide that she committed. I'm imagining that Nikki's near-death experience will cause her to also want to come clean the same way that Victoria was wanting to come clean when she was talking to Phyllis on Friday. <laughs> Reed wants to come clean. Victoria wants to come clean. Nikki wants to come clean. There are so many people wanting to just confess those crimes that they've committed, and I'm kind of wishing that somebody would just do it. Something seems to be brewing between Nick and Victoria, and it's subtle right now, but I'm thinking perhaps it might be one of my 2019 predictions come true, if you happened to hear those. There was a moment in the hospital where Nick offers to help Victoria with the duties and the tasks and the things that are going on at Newman Enterprises while Victor is away. And Victoria suddenly gets very territorial. She doesn't want Nick anywhere near Newman Enterprises, and she makes some comment about how he made his choice when it came to Newman or Dark Horse. Hmm, just thought that was interesting. We are seeing Nick offer to help, and we are seeing Victoria thrust herself into work at Newman Enterprises a little bit more. I think that's a hint. Because also on Christmas Day, we saw Victoria with her nose stuck in her phone. It's Christmas morning, and she's doing work, and it seems like she's taking a whole lot of responsibility on with Newman Enterprises now. And I'm a Imagining that it's going to get 
worse. It's going to get more. Victor has not only been absent, but he's not going to get out of his legal trouble magically. So there's going to be more and more and more of Victoria working at Newman. And I wonder if we're going to just see more of her stress, more of her working out at or working at the office. Billy, I think, will be there to pull her out of that and pull her into the family that they share. We saw hints of that this week. Billy has been there for Victoria every step of the way. It's so very clear that we are headed toward a Billy and Victoria reunion, which is so weird considering he was talking about being in love with Phyllis a couple of weeks ago. And then before that, he seemed very interested in Sharon. And now all of a sudden, it just seems like an inevitability that he's back together with Victoria. He's been giving her lots of hugs and lots of support uh, at, at the hospital specifically. And apparently there was a scene where maybe Victor saw them hugging and supporting one another. There was someone peeping at them through the blinds. I'm sure it was Victor. I'm sure he won't be too happy about it. And I'm sure that he will probably find a way to use this as an excuse to demote her. Oh, how nice that Mariah was hosting our GC Buzz Christmas show. But really, when Mariah was talking to the GC Buzz audience, she was actually talking to us YNR viewers. I thought that was a nice framing for that current Christmas episode. And Mariah was narrating the Christmas stories that we got that day. There were stories of love and loss and memories and the love of lost memories. It was very, very beautiful. And as Mariah's present from Sharon, Sharon decides to offer a cup of some hot apple cider peace to Mariah and Tessa, telling them both that although she still doesn't trust Tessa, she wanted to put it aside for a day. It was nice to see them coming together. Now I have to ask this, because this is an interesting casting note that I didn't know was happening, didn't see coming, and I'm curious if there will be more of. Noah arrives at the hospital in support of his grandmother, Nikki, and I got the impression that he was only in town temporarily. He made some kind of comment about um, being, I don't know, about the flight home, I think it was. So is there any chance that he's going to be sticking around a little bit? bit longer or is he going to leave now that Nikki's okay and either way are we gonna see any more goodbye from him or is he just gonna be flash gone like will we get a goodbye scene I don't know but most importantly I tell you what I really need and want to see a follow-up between Mariah and Tessa and Noah it's important I mean, YNR cannot have Tessa have confessed her big revelation that she was just using Noah for the entire duration of their relationship just to get his money. And then they cannot just bring him back into town and not address that, right? This week 
Kyle and Lola exchange their Christmas gifts. And Lola was very insecure about the face value of her gift to Kyle. She got Kyle a watch that she knew was way less expensive than the one that he had just bought for himself that she didn't know anything about. But Kyle got the watch, looked at it, loved it immediately, and assured her that it wasn't about the money. He loved her gift because of the giver. It meant something to him that she was the one who got it. He immediately took off his other expensive watch, cast it aside, and chose Lola's gift. Now, Kyle's gift to Lola, I immediately perceived it as having been very, very thoughtful. Lola had been purse shopping online, and Kyle was sitting next to her, paying attention to the types of purses that she was looking at, and he ended up buying her one that he knew she wanted. That seems so sweet. But she didn't want it once she learned what the price tag was. The next day, Lola is serving up her Crimson Lights pop-up shop stuff at the coffee house, and Carrie comes up for a sandwich. And she notes Lola's bag, recognizes that it's from this very she-she designer, and it happens to be a very rare bag. There were only a certain number of them that were issued. Carrie even looks inside and can see that it's, you know, that it is one of the 800 bags that were issued and was admiring it, said it was beautiful. Oh, you're so lucky. But it made Lola so uncomfortable to hear this. She didn't know. She didn't know where the bag came from, didn't know a thing about it, just knew that she liked it. It was cool. And it was a gift from Kyle. And she was so upset, so upset immediately. She did not realize that he had spent as much as he did. She goes online, looks at the price tag, and decides that this is a problem for their relationship. I really, I'm struggling because I feel like Lola got Kyle a gift that she could afford. And Kyle got Lola a gift that he could afford. First of all, they didn't set a budget for gifts. If money was an issue, they should have set a budget for this. But I also do understand how the money issue would make her self-conscious. $5,000 is a lot to spend on a purse. And Lola is someone who really, really values her independence and her ability to earn her money. So I do get it. I get why the value of the purse would make her uncomfortable. I personally would never ask for an expensive gift like that. But I also wouldn't turn it down either. And I certainly wouldn't break up with a guy for buying me an expensive gift like that. 
I would think that the mature thing to do would be to use that as a jumping off point for a conversation about money dynamics in the relationship. But Lola didn't do that. She just calls Kyle over to the coffee house, dumps all of her things out of the bag, puts them into a carryout bag, and gives Kyle back the expensive purse empty. And then she harumphs off the way she always does, leaving Kyle not even knowing if she's breaking up with him. I don't know. I don't really like this behavior. I think that Lola is becoming a little bit of a diva. She's a little bit of a high-maintenance girl in just a different way, probably, than Kyle is used to dealing with. And I, there's just a part of me that thinks she's done this like three or four other times where he does something that she doesn't like and her reaction to it just doesn't measure up to the severity of what he's done. I mean, at the end of the day, he bought her a nice gift and she just handed it back to him and stormed off. I'm really not sure how much more of this that Kyle should be putting up with. So that's my poll question to you for the week. Do you feel like Kyle and Lola are true love or are they just too immature for true love? Whyourchat.com, that's our poll question of the week because I think you can be in love but not be ready for it. And there is something about this that screams too immature. You Maybe you need to just go your separate ways and then come back together when you're both in the same place. I always keep thinking back to Mariah and Tessa having that conversation about a healthy relationship. It's a combination of chemistry and timing. And you can have the chemistry, but if you don't have the timing, you don't have the relationship. You don't have it. You do not have it. So I wonder what you guys are going to say about Kyle and Lola at this point. Are you sort of over it? Ready to move on, thinking this is just too immature? Or are you still rooting for them, thinking these are two people that love each other, they can work it out? I don't know. At the end of the day, I think that Kyle's heart was in the right place. And that's all that really matters. I think that Lola totally missed the point of it all. She just totally missed the point, And I think she does have some growing up to do. I don't know. I would take, I would have taken, I'm putting myself in her shoes. And granted, I've got some ears on her, but I would take the purse. I would I would have taken the purse. I don't, maybe that, I don't know, what kind of girl does that make me? I would have taken the purse. I would have said thank you and maybe had a conversation about it afterwards. And you know what else? I've been thinking about this all week long. I think I would have gone to Bora Bora too. I think if I was, I think in either instance, whether I was Lola or if I was Carrie, I would have gone to Bora Bora. <laughs> Because it's like, 
It is weird, I guess, to go on this lavish vacation with someone that you don't exactly know. But if you are dating someone who's wildly rich, why not step into a little bit of a fantasy for however long it lasts? Why not use it as an excuse to get to know each other? I mean, Carrie and Jack were already sleeping with each other, or they decided to sleep with each other at this point. So it's not really as if, okay, we're going to go on this vacation but I don't want him to think we're that it means we're gonna have sex I mean they're fully involved so why I don't know why not go on the vacation I say count me in for the purse and count me in for Bora Bora too <laughs> I mean my affection can't be bought but I don't think that's what's going on here in either of those uh, situations maybe I'm shallow but I wouldn't spit on the idea of being pampered I do love that Billy and Jack are in a better place than they were before this Christmas. It was a little funny when Jack and Billy are having a conversation around the Christmas tree and all of a sudden Carrie jaunts downstairs and Billy realizes that, oh, Jack's sleeping with her. Billy seemed a little impressed too. Like, Jack, you mad dog, you go, bro. <laughs> I don't know. It was just sort of a funny scene. I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed the unofficial double date between Jack and Carrie and Billy and Victoria sitting at the coffee house. The only weird thing about it was why is Victoria so relaxed and casual when this is going on with her mom and everybody else is tearing their hair out about it. It's just Victoria's behavior throughout the week seemed a little jarring. Like one minute she's crying her eyes out and can't uh, you know, do, do imagine life without her mother. And then the next minute she's throwing herself into work. And then the next minute she's relaxing and chilling at the coffee house party. It was just a little strange. Although I liked the overall casual vibe between the two couples. I'm sure that's a premonition for the future. So Christmas Day, Jack is at the house with Dina. We saw Dina for a little bit. And Dina's gotten to the point where she doesn't even recognize Jack at all. And I'm sure that that is incredibly difficult for him. But I really loved that Y&R gave us a flashback from, I think it was last Christmas, where Dina still had a little bit of her faculties about her. And she told Jack that, uh, you know, she, she had a moment of um, clarity about her Alzheimer's, and she told him that there will be a day somewhere around the corner where I am a burden to you and to where I won't recognize you. And I just want you to remember and always hold on to the fact that I love you now and always. It was a nice full circle moment. I appreciated it. Um, I also appreciated the flashback where Jack was remembering a moment around Christmas when he was a boy. And Dina, who is so very um, impetuous, she was throwing a fit about a Christmas party that got canceled and she she was all dressed up. She wanted to go out. She, she couldn't get out of there fast enough. But Jack 
enjoyed the moment with his mother. He was kind of happy the party got canceled because that meant he got to spend some time with his mom. And Dina was feeling let down by the whole thing and was happy to get a phone call that would have taken her out of the house into a different party. And at the very last minute, she realized that that was disappointing to her son and she decided to stay home with him instead. And it was, it was a nice moment. The only thing is just so, it's a little odd to me that Jack is so into his mother. He, he just look the way he looks at her he as the boy in the boy in the flashback scene the way he was just sitting there just waiting for his mommy he called her uh, I don't remember if it was in the adult scene or in the flashback but he called her so beautiful and stylish there was just something almost edible about that scene and that I hadn't really thought of before, the way he admires her. It's almost a little too much. I'm not saying on the surface there's anything there, but it it, it does feel like Jack almost has this crush on his mom. Um, it's It probably says a lot and speaks a lot to his taste in women and his history with women. I mean, Jack is always going after the unattainable woman. Um, and it's just sort of like his mom, too. His, his mother's love and affection seems always to be just out of reach. And in a lot of ways, the same has been true of his love life. It's just out of reach. This was Devon's first Christmas without Hillary. And oh my gosh, the idea that he hung on to a Christmas card that she had given him previously and then displayed it. Does anybody do that? I've never even thought of that, but oh, displaying old Christmas cards from that you received from your loved ones who are now past. Oh, that just... I mean, it's wonderful and horrible all at the same time. Um, I loved the moment where he took the card, set it on the piano next to a picture of her. It's just, this is so hard for him. Um, and I'm glad that he had some family there with him, especially now that Neil is off in who knows where, as well as Lily. But Devon was able to spend some time with Anna and Nate on Christmas Day, and not just for distraction. I loved that... Devon acknowledged the fact that this was a hard holiday for him. He was with Hillary last Christmas. But he he also acknowledged that he misses her, but that he's still seeking counseling for the acceptance that she's gone. The holidays are really hard for a lot of people. That is the time that you associate with families. And as your family passes on, and Hillary very much being Devon's family and his child was his family, it's so natural that he would be thinking of all of that. And it was good to know, good to reinforce that he's still seeking the counseling and also that it wasn't the sole focus on his mind. He also talked about his other memories as a child, being with his grandmother. And Anna shared some of those memories, too. We had Nate discussing his, his familial relationships, talking about his own father and about Malcolm and the way he admired him. I thought that was a great little scene, maybe even 
we started a new tradition there. I'm I'm for it. The Hamilton Winters family signed me up for mac and cheese and seven layer bars. What are the seven layers? I have to look that up. It sounds decadent. I am really digging Anna now. When she first came on to the show, she came off to me as being very sweet, very innocent, but now I'm realizing that she is also very smart and very capable. I like her a lot, 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 lot. Not only was she the one who identified that Fen was this rising star, but we learned this week that she also secretly wrote the song that he performed and recorded. She does it all. I mean, she's multi-talented. This was her brainchild, and yet she's keeping it all under wraps. She's keeping the fact that she wrote the song from Devon. She doesn't tell him that. And it's because she's happy staying behind the scenes. That's actually what she wanted. She revealed to Fen when Fen figured it out that she had a bad experience where she signed over the rights to some of her music without reading the contract, without realizing what she was doing. And so now she's not interested in contracts. She's not interested in glory. And because they've recorded this song that they believe to be a hit, Devon is trying to not only sign Fenn to a contract, but sign this writer, this music writer to a contract. He wants them to work for Hamilton Winters Music Group uh, exclusively, wants to pay them plenty of money. And Anna just says no. She's, she's skirting around it, trying to avoid getting the recognition for something that she worked very hard on. It's it's interesting. I like it because I did see Anna as naive and now we're learning that she's not actually all that naive. And it kind of takes me back to her talking about losing the love of music when she was first trying to relate that to Devon. That came off as naive to me and now I realize that maybe it's not. Maybe it's all very purposeful on her part. She accepted the mistake and she's moving forward determined to not make the mistake again. So she is sharing the secret with Fen and in a way we're developing a little bit of a Cyrano situation here, aren't we? Where Anna is feeding these lyrics and these songs to Fen. And he's the one who is singing them. And he's the one who's taking all of the glory. And Anna seems to be perfectly fine with that, which I find very mature. Mm. I don't know how long she's going to be able to keep it up, though. It seems to me that Anna should just tell Devon that she's the secret writer and then read the contract this time. But I don't know where where would be the mystery in that. Maybe unicorns are real. 
Maybe it's possible that was last week's Who Said It quote. It was Phyllis who said that line. Believe it was said to Sharon as Sharon was suggesting that maybe Nikki's accident wasn't an accident and maybe it was intentional by whoever it is that's haunting the women. And Phyllis just flippantly said, yeah, maybe. And maybe unicorns are real. Congratulations to everybody who caught that one. It, it was a fun little line, but maybe not quite so easy. Henry got it right, and Justin, TB84, T Nicole, Ambreen, Diana, Rose, Marianne, and Tanya. Congratulations, you guys all got it right. And here's one for you this week. We're kind of, the supernatural trend is sort of continuing here. I love this line. I hope you get it. Angels don't wear black. So good. Who said it? Angels don't wear black. YRChat.com is the website if you think you know. And if you get it right, I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. Oh, this is lovely. Diana left a comment saying, I thought I would post the lyrics to the Young and the Restless theme song as we never see or hear them. <gasps> I didn't even know there were lyrics to Nadia's theme. So let's dig into these. The lyrics to the song that has been the soundtrack to our Y&R experience. Here we go. Gone, dreams of the past. Gone with a love that moved too fast. Gone, bright, shiny days. Gone in a young and restless haze. Why did we love, then run away? So little time, so much left to say. And now, it's gone. Young and restless friend, you'll never pass this way again. So drink the summer wine. Reach for the stars while you have time. Your restless past, it will lead the way. So your dream, so dream your dreams and live for each day. While you are young, while you are young, while you are young. I love that. And I'll tell you another thing I was just thinking. And thank you, Diana, for posting that because I, I'm left with this sensation of our Young and the Restless theme song being sad. Isn't that interesting? YNR has done an up-tempo version of that song with the current credits. It's just slightly up-tempo. But the original song, which I've heard the piano, the full piano music for, I have it on CD, um, it is very sad. How interesting that when the show was conceived in the 70s and they're going through picking a theme song, it, it's, a, it's a sad song. Um, and also a song about not just about being young, but it seems to me that from the lyrics, it's about an older person viewing youth. That we have the, not all of the characters, not, not that all of the themes are by people who are young and restless both. We have the young 
and we have the restless. It's just there's so much, uh, so many layers of meaning there that I I would love to just continue to peel apart. Thank you, Diana, for posting that. I'm just so grateful and I love it. So speaking of the young <laughs> portion of the young and the restless, Tanya says Lola overreacted with Kyle. It's just a purse. What's the big deal? He wanted to buy her something nice. And Bernie says, oh, for heaven's sake, if you don't want the expensive purse, just sell it on eBay and get something from Walmart. <laughs> Rose says, I'm not sure that Lola and Kyle are that great of a couple. She immaturely picks fights with him about everything, and all her picking is based on her own insecurities, i.e. other girls, lack of sexual experience, lack of money. It gets fatiguing. Poor Kyle. I the, the insecurity part, Rose, you nailed that. That's exactly what it is. The question is, is it worth the hassle? And I guess that's what the viewers and what Kyle has to decide. Leslie says it, it would be difficult to buy a rich guy a present. So it would need to be something sentimental instead of expensive, like Ray's ornament to Sharon. Oh, Leslie, see, that's good. That is a really balanced way to approach that because I am trying to imagine that I'm a little scrapper, um, you know, with my food truck and I don't have that much money and I'm dating this guy who money is no object with. What do you get him? And she she went for watch because she knew he, he needed one, uh, but at the same time, um, she there are lots of watches there are lots of expensive watches that's a that may have been a tough choice for a guy something that was sentimental maybe would have been a safer bet for her own insecurities right mm. well gary mentions that really what we have here with uh, for instance uh, lola's gift from kyle and Carrie's gift from Jack is a classic clash of two worlds. Yes, Gary, that's exactly what we're being presented with these Abbott men. We have Jack presenting his woman with this lavish vacation gift. And we have Kyle following in those footsteps thinking, I mean, it's not lavish, but he's at least sort of doing what he was taught. And what we have are two different worlds. We have Carrie who decides, yes, not only will I take Bora Bora, but I would have been happy to receive that purse too. And then we have Lola who's turned off by it. So it is kind of an old school versus new school mentality. Maybe it's even traditional versus modern. Maybe what women want is not so much the fur coat, not so much the expensive purse, not so much the vacation. Maybe what women want is something uh, more sentimental or small or I don't know. I, I guess I'm just traditional. I just really feel like I wouldn't have said no to the expensive gift, but I do at the same time understand why Lola did. I just don't understand why she had to use it as an excuse to huff off and break up with him potentially. But this is the, this is the key of this story, Gary, is that, that that's exactly what it is being presented as, a, a clash of two worlds. Because YNR has given us 
this Rosales family over the course of the past year. This is the family who doesn't have the money in contrast to the families who do. It's a little bit of a throwback, right, to the original YNR stories. Didn't we have our rich families? Uh, what I think was the Brooks, is this right? And then the Fosters were the, the, the less fortunate family and it's, the, you know, the dynamics between them. And also I have to say, I, I, ne I never have any dang time. But I did sit down for a, a movie yesterday, and it was, it's called um, Crazy Rich Asians. It's, I can't even believe I watched a movie from 2018. It's somewhat new. And it, it appealed to me because it's had a lot of soap opera style beats. It apparently was based on a book, which I knew nothing about. But I really think YNR fans would like it because it did also play on these same dynamics of being poor or, or, uh, or marrying into a very wildly wealthy family. Family. Um, and uh, this, some of the sim the dynamics of the movie were similar to the dynamics of uh, this story here with Kyle and Lola, old school versus new school. You guys should watch that. Give it a try. I mean, it had a it had a lot of good stuff in it. A lot of fashion moments. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of like the disapproval of the mother. And oh, the other thing I was thinking was, you know, if we're talking about the original YNR premise with the Brooks and the Foster and we have our, you know, rich families and our poor families, a lot of the dynamics of mother's disapproval or whatever it is exists between them. So a lot of the dynamics that we explore have nothing to do with money. So we get to see these little snapshots of the same things playing out in just two different classes. Maybe that's what Mel was going for with, uh, with that story, bringing us back to a little bit of that root. Oh, Rose, switching gears, says, when Anna first came on, I thought, yawn. But the actress has really endeared this character to me quickly. I agree. I really agree. Um, I think that Anna is another one of these scrapper type characters. She's going to be interesting and she's going to be willing to fight for what it is that she wants when we do find out what it is that she wants. And right now she's content to take her back seat. Uh, but I do wonder what the future will hold for her. I like her very much. Leslie commenting on um, Devon's attitude toward Anna saying that he paid his dues in the music industry and that's why he's not letting Anna take on more responsibility when it comes to development of Fen. Leslie says, what dues did Devon pay? He inherited money and along with it, a great business acumen in negotiations with Abby. He was portrayed as this wise businessman, but he went into the athletic club with no experience. Leslie, good point. Devon inherited his cash. He is not a self-made man, so where does he get off telling Anna that she hasn't paid her dues and he has? I mean, it's a whole lot easier to succeed if you got a billion dollars behind you as a safety net, right? You kind of got to have money to make a lot of money. And Devon had the benefit of something to work with, whereas Anna didn't. This is great. I like this story. Oh, well, let's talk about our storyteller. Last week, I asked you guys, Mal Young out as head writer 
do you think it's a good thing or do you think it's a bad thing? We had an overwhelming 98% vote saying that it was a good thing. We need a new vision that is not mouse. I'm going to test a new poll uh, um, uh, script this week. It's technically on the technical end of the website. I'm going to try a little something different with the poll this week because that just seems awfully skewed. Um, I believe that people would come out uh, in droves to vote for that. Um, uh, I don't know, though. I, I just, I kind of, I'm going to test a little something different and see if we're seeing something funky with those votes. Um, but I do think the majority vote probably would have been a good thing. That's how it seemed early in the week, that most people were kind of happy to see Mal go. But I also want to present the side of the people who didn't want to see Mal go. And I think Marianne left a really wonderful comment here about um, not only Mal leaving the show, but about who might take over. Um, I had mentioned last week that it seemed like our new head writer might end up being an old head writer that we had. And Marianne says, I would be open to what a new writer could or would bring to the show. However, the 2019 new writer, this is Josh, uh, just wrote for YNR five years ago in 2012, 2013, and it barely lasted a year. I would recommend, Marianne says, listening to Allie's YNR chat from the fall of 2013 to get an idea of what the tone for 2019 could be for the show. I thought that YNR 2012, 2013 was the most depressing era for YNR and the most TV in general until I saw Days in their anniversary year, 2015-2016, uh, which Josh also wrote for. Uh, Marianne says both uh, of those shows were had dark and dreary eras with that, with that writer, um, where some writers can bring a good balance of dark and light stories. Humor is not this writer's talent. Oh, okay, so I had to go back, Marianne, and <laughs> think about what the heck was going on in 2012-2013. And I think what you're referring to that is very dark and dreary is Delia's death. So that means that the writer who's probably going to take over killed Delia. I hadn't thought of that. I didn't realize that. And I do feel concerned about that. I do not like dark stories. I can, I never, that was one of the worst things that YNR ever did. It was awful. Um, and I really, really hope that that's not where we're heading. I did a little digging to find out what the status is on who's going to be taking over this role. I haven't seen anything definitive, but the only, it's still sort of, there hasn't been any uh, official announcements, but there's still sort of some speculation out there that Josh Griffith will be taking over the head writer role, but that he'll also be working with a guy named Tony Marina, and that they're going to co-run, co-write YNR. Um, this article that I read said that Marina has worked as a supervising producer on The Young and the Restless for 11 years, and he also has directed episodes of The Soap. Um, he also uh, directed Sunset Beach, Santa Barbara, All My Children, General Hospital, Port Charles. So if we're going to get this Josh Griffith, 
Maybe it's a good thing that we're also getting this Tony Morena too. Maybe he's a guy who's been with the show a long time, has some new fresh ideas. Maybe he can balance out anything Josh that is going to do that's dark with a little bit of light. Fingers crossed. Oh, let's um, let's talk about Reed. T. Nicole says, do you think the character of Reed will be here longer than just the Christmas break from boarding school? With Reed being the one who hit Nikki, the character will either be around longer um, and will miss going back to school to drag out the mystery and follow up with the accident, uh, or the truth will come out soon and he will go back to school. I don't know the status of Reed and his contract and how long the actor will be on the show. I'm kind of thinking that the truth's going to come out and he's going to go back to school. I didn't see any news of him coming on as a contract player, so it's my guess that it's more of a stint, but I don't know that. I don't know that at all. Diana says... It would be nice for Reed's sake if JT was alive. After being hit on the head from Nikki, JT's personality could have changed for the good. It would be nice to have the actor back on the show as a good reformed guy and the Margarita crew wouldn't go to jail because it was self-defense. JT could get some sort of suitable sentence for his crimes and then be a re regular character on the show. Uh, I th I wonder if they were to bring JT back and make him not alive, I think they, I don't know that they would go the route of reforming him, but I do like your idea that it's, for Reed's sake, might not be a bad thing. It's hard to watch this tortured kid. I have a feeling he is just going to bump right back off to boarding school. I don't know. I just don't, I can't see why and are taking the time. They don't seem to take the time with much right now. Jamie says, my favorite moment of the week was when Victor crawled into the bed with Nikki, and then we got to see that flashback scene. It was a really nice setup of the scene. They showed the hospital bed from above while Victor was lying in bed with Nikki, and it was very effective. It was very sweet. I mean, I don't think that Victor would crawl into the hospital bed with anyone but Nikki. It was really very touching. Ellen says, listening to Victor call Nikki my baby over and over and over again is making me downright lugubrious. <laughs> Well, first of all, I know it. I thought the same thing about the my baby. I You say it once, say it once. And he does say it a lot, but then he kept saying it. It was getting borderline annoying. And big points for incorporating our new vocabulary word, lugubrious. Hey, maybe that's who was driving the ambulance. <laughs> lugubrious. Victor hired good old lugubrious to drive the ambulance to get... Nikki to her safety. <laughs> yeah! That's one of my favorite jokes of the year, and I don't know why. It's a good pun, I think. Lugubrious. <laughs> I really laughed about that after the fact. I got a kick out of myself with that one. Anna says, the Christmas episode was really nice with the flashbacks and everything. But I would have also enjoyed having another family on the Christmas episode. It was only like three families who were celebrating. 
I liked the Christmas episode, but I kind of would have preferred a flashback episode. It seems like Wyatt doesn't do that as much in recent years. We are full steam ahead with new content, and to be perfectly honest with you, I was kind of hoping for a little bit of a break. I know we had the preemptions and everything, but there's just something about having a flashback episode that is just fun to see. I like to think back about where we were at this time on this date. I think YNR obviously needs to produce new Christmas episodes, but I like the idea of taking a look back at the old ones and also giving me a moment. Like YNR does not take a break and YNR chat does not take a break. I was kind of sort of hoping to maybe go to bed early one night <laughs> after dealing with all of the Christmas craziness. I didn't even start watching YNR until Wednesday. I didn't do nearly as much as I do on a normal week because the holidays is just, it's not spare time. It feels like it's extra stuff to do. So I, I was kind of hoping that we'd get, we'd get a break, but we didn't. And I don't think, as a matter of fact, we're going to get a break next week either. I read that we're going to have five episodes next week. Lionar is keeping me busy. <laughs> ah, Daisy says, I wonder if Victor believes that Ray is the one who's trying to frame him, perhaps at the behest of Christine. Mm, that's a possibility. What about that phone call that Ray made about Nick, having Nick tailed? I mean, we know that, uh, of course, that's ultimately going to lead to Victor getting caught, but who did Ray make that phone call to? Could it have been Christine? Is Christine working with Ray behind the scenes to create, for instance, the ranch fire, to you know, use some unorthodox means to flush out JT's murderer? I don't know. Zuberplex says the fact that Victor is willing to go to the extreme of removing Nikki from the ICU is proof positive that he must know about Nikki's involvement in JT's death and the fact that some mysterious stranger is trying to blackmail her and the rest of the crew. It also gives me hope in the theory that Victor was the one behind the disappearance of JT's corpse from Chancellor Park. Yes, you are right. You definitely are right. The fact that uh, Victor is aware of this perceived threat is proof that he is aware of what's been going on with the women. The question is, is he the one behind it? Well, let's um, let's end up with uh, a little bit of a tradition that we have here on YNR Chat. Let's look back at some of the predictions that we made in 2017 about what might be on the horizon for us in 2018. So let's look at last year's predictions, see what came true, see what didn't come true. Starting out with Tina Cole, and this is so close. Tina Cole was predicting that in 2018, Nick and Sharon would finally get back together and get married again. Ooh, this close. <laughs> Nick and Sharon got back together, but they just didn't quite seal that deal, did they? Oh, Kathy has a good one that came true. Uh, Kathy predicted that Dina and Graham would end up being husband and wife. Yes. Yes, Kathy. You, that was true. But false. Kathy also predicted that Dina's illness was fake. Oh, I wish. 
right? I mean, can you believe last year at this time we were still just sort of holding out hope that maybe this Alzheimer's thing's not going to turn out to be true? Now here we are. Oh, lots of folks predicted that Hillary would become pregnant with Devon's baby, but no one predicted she would die. <laughs> that would have been unpredictable. Uh, also, lots of people predicted that Adam would come back. I think people predict that Adam would come back every year. <laughs> uh, but no one predicted that Chelsea would leave town. That's all casting driven, of course. Diana predicted Kyle's return, and Kyle didn't return until April of 2018. Uh, Diana also predicted that he would be paired up with Mariah, though, and it sort of almost happened, but you know, YNR decided to take that in a different direction. But that was a, that's a pretty good prediction that was really close to kind of coming true. I mean, who would have guessed that Weiner would not only have brought him onto the scene, but would have at least developed some sort of relationship with Mariah? I mean, that was a really good pull, Diana. Katie also had a prediction that came true, predicting that Lily would adopt Sam, and that would reunite the Ashby family. Yes, this time last year, the Ashbys were dealing with some pretty strong problems in that marriage. And uh, Lily did finally accept little Sam and, and, and reunite the family with him included. Kiki had a true prediction saying that in 2018, Billy would make a play for the CEO of Jabot. I don't know how much of a play it was, but he certainly did become the CEO. Uh, Kiki, though, unfortunately falsely predicted that Ashley would have Robbie's baby. <laughs> Ooh, that could have been a fun, fun direction to have taken it. Zuperplex had a partial true prediction saying that Ashley and Neil would fall in love, provoking a jealous rage in Ravi, uh, who then makes an attempt on Neil's life. Well, who'd have guessed that, Zuperplex? I wouldn't have. You did good. Ashley and Neil, boom. You got that part. Just not the, uh, the I mean, who knows? That could have happened if, if Eileen Davidson hadn't left the show pretty much at the same time as Kristoff. Oh, and Jamie... You had some double nopes on your prediction here. First of all, uh, <laughs> Jamie predicted that Ashley would drop her feuding ways and help bring Jack back from the brink of disaster. Nope. <laughs> she ramped up her feuding ways. And also Jamie predicted that Victoria and JT would get back together and that JT would help soften Victoria's more Victor-like character traits. Well... <laughs> I mean, Victoria and JT did get back together for a second, but the whole softening thing, definitely not. Uh, but I will give you a yep, Jamie. Uh, she predicted that Scott would be moving his butt on out of town, and that did indeed happen in 2018. Oh, here's a good one. I mean, some of you guys, you're really good at this because Colleen, you will never believe what Colleen predicted. Get ready for this. Colleen says... Uh, in 2018, Faith's life will be put in jeopardy when there's a fire at the stables. Uh, how on earth could you ever possibly have pulled that? I mean, do, Colleen, you, <laughs> that is a pretty good pull. I mean, the whole Faith life in jeopardy thing is a no, but a ranch stable fire? 
I need to get your predictions for 2019. <laughs> you apparently have the crystal ball. So yrchat.com, all of you, please go to the website, leave me your predictions for what you think are going to be coming up in 2019. And at the end of the year, we'll revisit them, see what came true, see what was false. And if you are interested in hearing a few of my predictions for 2019, I included those in the YNR chat year-end affair, which you can get at GenoaCitySoap.com if you want to hear what I think is coming up for 2019, what my crystal ball says. <laughs> Okay, everybody, that does it for me for this year. <laughs> oh, I hope you all enjoyed it and that you have something special planned for New Year's. I'm sure we'll see at least a couple of New Year's parties on YNR this upcoming week. At least I hope so. Again, I think it's like five episodes, so we're not missing a beat. <laughs> Ugh. YRChat.com is the website if you would like to leave me your comments about last week's show, last year's show, or if you would like to comment on this current week's show, Genoa City Soap is the website if you'd like to have a, a flashback to 2018. It's pretty complete. Uh, a lot of the the stories and the themes that we talk about in the um, in the YNR chat year end affair, it's it's a, a complete um, relooking at 2018. I use different ways to explore those themes, but I think I hit pretty much darn everything big that happened in the year. And it is kind of surprising, and me especially when I was researching it all. Um, it's surprising that oh that was only a year ago. It felt like 10 years ago. It's really interesting to look back and, and think about where we were on the show and maybe even where we are in life. Um, so um, thank you to everyone who's been picking that up. Uh, I think everyone has left so many comments saying that they have enjoyed it and that makes me so happy because it was so much work. Um, I, the, the finished video podcast was three hours long but it was more like probably 30 hours of uh, research and writing and uh, and recording and editing. It was a big, big task. So it is very rewarding to me to know how much you guys enjoyed it. And oh, yeah, it's just fun. To, it is really fun to look back. And I'm sure a lot of us will be doing that on our own lives for the next year. I mean, I just really want to keep doing more and more YNR chat. I don't know if I am the best person to be doing YNR chat, but I think maybe I'm the most committed. <laughs> I mean, after 10 years, I think that, uh, I, I don't know, I think maybe I have a little bit of a knack for this. And definitely in my list of resolutions for 2019 is to do more, give more to YNR chat. It, it just is my pleasure. Um, and I hope it is yours as well. So happy new year, everyone. I love you so much and I'll see you next week. See you next Sunday. See you next year. Bye.